Well, good morning, gathering. Y'all good? Come on, it's 11 o'clock. Y'all have been all right. Anybody hit breakfast already? Y'all got wait, wait. Come on, you know you eat well in Asheville. Man, this is what we do. This is what we do, man. We got, we got a lot of, the good, of, of wonderful things in Asheville, but we got food. It's a good thing to be in Asheville. Welcome, guys, from Michigan. I, you made the right choice. Michigan's terrible to be in right now. <laughs> Don't be there. Come to Asheville. It's amazing. My name is Teddy Winter. I'm a, a pastor here in town. Um, man, honestly, I want to let you know a little bit about us. I am the biggest fan of the Gathering Church. Just heads up. Y'all will fight. I will fight you on that. I am the biggest fan of this church. We have been uh, living in Asheville for, for quite a while and honestly have been praying for uh, a church just like this to show up for about 15 years. Um, and it is a joy to be alongside of you this morning. I uh, pastor at a church here in town uh, that is part of a church planning network that's actually part of this church planning network. So we are sister churches. We're family. Uh, we are community. We're, we're just... Yeah, it's good. It's so good to be here with you guys. Hey, listen, I got a couple things, but because we're family, you remember, you know, you ever get together with family and, um, when you, when you get together in family, you, you, got some, you get to share some things, right? Some airing of grievances, if you know if you're a Festivus fan. Or if maybe there's some things that you have, you know, like, I got a little bit of issue with y'all, and we're going to talk about it right now. So this is family time. So on the front side of this, I got a little bit of issue with the Gathering Church. I got to talk about it. Is that all right? It got awkward real quick. So I'll, I'll let you know. All right. I am, um, um, I, I, my, 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 my issue has, has to do with your, your pastors and their facial hair. I'm just going to com, com, uh, go ahead and say that. Um, there is a, um, a, a disturbing trend among your pastors of, of eliminating the facial hair from their face, right? So if you've, uh, if you've been here for a while, uh, Pastor Robert, who was just up here a few minutes ago, he, uh, at a few, few weeks, months ago, uh, decided to make a horrendous choice and shave this beautiful mane of hair that God had given him for his face, the manliest of beards, the most proper of beards that could have ever been grown, and decided to just eliminate it, just get rid of it, as if it was no big deal, or that no one would notice, right? Um, and so it was one of those things where if you were in that time and you saw Robert, you didn't know Robert. Uh, I've known Robert for a lot of years, and I've never seen shaved Robert. Um, and it was, uh, it was a, a quite a something for me to behold and try and figure out. And then you've got Robert, who has this beautiful beard. I mean, it's just like textbook perfect and can probably grow in like six minutes a full beard from scratch. Uh, it's, it's amazing. And you've got John Mark, your lead pastor here, who has the most beautiful and textbook mustache God has ever bestowed upon one man in all of humanity, right? I mean, this thing is perfect. It's like, it's the right angles. It's the the right types of hair. It's just glorious. And what does he do? He shaves it, just, just wipes it out, sends it to the nearest trash can as if it wasn't even an important part of his family, as if it wasn't a part of our life. And so I, as someone who cannot grow a full beard, I'm spotty like a cheetah. I mean, I got stuff everywhere. Um, and only one consistent space that I've been committed to for 16 years um, and looking stupid for 16 years. And these guys can do all of this and just, you know, choose to get rid of it. It's just ridiculous. So if you would join me in kind of uh, helping to correct them. Uh, now, Robert, on the other hand, like he's grown his beard back. He probably didn't shave last night, and so the full beard come right back. But if you see him grab a razor, slap it. All right, we need some, some beard brothers here in town. We need to continue this. Jason, who played guitar this morning, understands that. He has a full understanding of that. So please just help me with that. Is that okay? All right, now I've got that off my chest. Now we can really get into uh, what we are going to talk about. If you're new to the gathering, if this is your first time here, welcome home. 
This is your spot. This is where you need to be. This is a beautiful community, a beautiful family, and we are very, very, very glad to have you here. Uh, this is a uh, perf- it's, it's the church for you. It's where you need to be. So go ahead. Uh, Plan on growth track this afternoon at 1245, as Pastor Robert talked about. Make sure you go ahead and jump into that. You know, he said talking about food, but Jesus turned, he multiplied, you know, bread, bread and fish and loaves. We, we, there'll be food for you. We'll get that figured out. So it's going to be a good time. You'll get to uh, learn more about the gathering. So this is the space for you to be. You need to be here. This is a beautiful church, a beautiful community. You've got wonderful pastors, wonderful leadership. This is the spot for you to be at. It's um, it's good. I love, I love your pastors. I love your family. You guys are just, just some of the, the best people in, in our city. So thank you all for being here this morning. As Pastor Robert uh, talked about, we are walking through a series, Do It Scared, and we've been talking about Gideon, right? Last week, John Mark walked through kind of the beginning story of Gideon, kind of an introduction into uh, his, his story. And um, we get to, to see Gideon as, um, well, he's a coward. This is right out there at the beginning. He's a coward. He is an absolute coward. He is hiding uh, in a wine press. Now, he's not making wine. He's threshing wheat, which is not what a wine press is for. But he's doing that because the, uh, the, the children of Israel are surrounded by the Midianite army. And the Midianites are taking all of the choice things from the Israelites and just uh, really just, just, just destroying them, right? And so the Midianites are camped all around, and they are taking all of the goodness that the Israelites have. And so uh, Gideon is hiding in the wine press so that he can thresh this wheat uh, so that it doesn't get stolen by the Midianites. Now, he's afraid of going out and being out in front of everyone. Uh, he's, he's, he's just kind of, kind of a coward. And we see that an angel of the Lord showed up last week to talk to Gideon. And uh, out of nowhere, angel of the Lord shows up and says, Hail, mighty man of valor. And it terrifies Gideon, right? Because one, he would not uh, see himself as a mighty man of valor. But he also um, is, it's an angel of the Lord. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. Just out of nowhere. You're hiding in the wine press and all of a sudden, boom, there's an angel there. What? This was not what I, no, how, who unlocked the door? This is crazy time. So Gideon goes in there and he pretends to, um, to tell this angel how radically unqualified he is to do what he's been called to do. To, he's radically unqualified to perform the task and how the angel surely had gotten the wrong person to do this job. Gideon has a million excuses. Uh, he begins to tell him, listen, um, you got uh, the wrong guy. Matter of fact, you got the wrong family. Uh, we're, if you know anything about the, our clan, we're not great. Matter of fact, we're kind of the worst. And if you're looking inside of the worst, I'm actually the worst of the worst. Like, you don't want me. You're surely got the wrong wine press that somebody's hiding in. This is not where uh, you need to be. So, uh, But the, the, the angel of the Lord begins to tell him, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm speaking to you. This is what God has for you. God has called you to a unique, um, a, a unique thing. We wrapped up. Uh, Gideon was the, was the one to be uh, the one who would lead the Israelites out of oppression of the Midianites and kind of be, be that leader to free his, uh, his, his, his tribe, his clan, his, his people from the Midianite oppression. And so Gideon was that guy. He, was the, he then proceeds to give his millions of excuses of why he can't do it. And if we, we remember last week, you can follow along online if you hadn't had a chance, but we wrapped up last week pressing into the thought that though often we are scared to do what God has called us to do, we can step out into our calling knowing that God sees our purpose, He sees our future potential and our present design, and that both faith and fear 
can exist together, right? And so we walk through the story of Gideon, kind of seeing those points and different things about that. Well, this week we want to dig into the Gideon story just a little bit deeper. And we, we want to answer, answer the question, how do we how do we discern the call of God on our life, right? How do we figure out what we're wired to do? How do we know what God has for us, right? Now, no doubt in your life you have uh, wrestled with this. Maybe as a, as a child you uh, remember being uh, wanting to... Uh, wanting to, to, to be an astronaut, right? And then there's no space program. Like, oh, oh, that was rough. That didn't, that didn't happen. Maybe you wanted to be a firefighter. You know, everybody, when you have kids, what do you, a lot of times they will ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, and then they ask you when you're in college, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. Still, I just want to graduate and try and get out of debt. Um, and so we're, we've wrestled with this calling. What are we designed to do? What is it that God would have us to do with our lives? And so we want to spend a few minutes kind of walking through uh, the next part of Gideon's story in Judges chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, Bible app, something along the line, or if you want to just follow along on the screen, we'll be walking through uh, verses 36 through 40 of Judges chapter 6, where we find the Gideon story. Now, here uh, in, uh, let's see here. Judges chapter 6, verses 36 starts off and says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. Now, Gideon has heard from God that he has a call on his life. As a matter of fact, this angel of the Lord, as we've talked about last week, has told him, you're going to be the guy that leads the, Midian, uh, the Israelites out of the Midianite oppression. You're going to be my man to lead this people out. And so we see in Gideon that he, he, he hears this, but now he's going to have another conversation with God, right? He's a little bit freaked out about it, and he's, he's thinking, okay, I, I've, seen, I've seen this angel, and, and I heard what God had called me to do, but, but I just need to be sure. I need, I need to be sure. Like, I know you kind of appeared out of nowhere into a locked room and did some things with this uh, sacrifice, but I just needed to be sure this wasn't like bad burritos from the night before and maybe some weird mushrooms I ate. And it, it's, this, is, this is something from God, right? Because this is a little bit farther along than what I'm actually comfortable or capable of even doing. And so he wants to make sure that this is the right thing. He wants to test it and see if, if it's right. He wants to say, if you, if you don't mind, I just need to be really sure uh, that this this is what I'm supposed to do. So he throws out this fleece of wool onto the threshing floor. The next verse says, If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. So he wakes up in the morning. Oh, dang, it is. This is kind of crazy. This thing is soaked. And it's not like misty. It's not like just damp. I mean, this thing is soaked enough to where he rings it out and it's full, fills up an entire bowl of water. And so he's thinking, okay, this is not going how I thought it would go. I was really not wanting this to happen. So maybe, God, if you don't mind, if possibly you wouldn't be so upset, if maybe I could actually ask you to do something else. To confirm it, right? I need to make sure this is exactly what you would have for me because I don't want to, to go out and, um, and, and get embarrassed or probably slaughtered. So I'd rather not. And if I could be just like super sure, that would be fantastic. And so he goes out with the next verse and says, uh, let not your anger burn against me. He's talking to God. Let, let me speak just, just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. 
Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground uh, where, where there's, there's dew. And so he goes, okay, so, so we, we've had this test, right? And, 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 and don't get mad. God, don't get mad. I mean, like, just don't get mad. Just, I, I want to know for sure this is what you want for me to do. So, so okay, it was wet and the ground was dry. Let's, let's flip this. All right, this is going to be really difficult. Nobody can do this, right? So if the, if the, the fleece is dry and then the ground is wet... Then, then, then I know we're okay, right? Then, then, then I know this is, this is from God. So you can imagine as Gideon wakes up the next morning, he kind of comes into the wine press, just kind of like sneaking in like, hopefully this is, dang it. And he walks into this massive puddle of water and this super dry fleece. And so he says, oh my goodness, this is uh, absolutely awful, awful. And it's not, this is not what he wanted. This is not it, it, what, what he was wanting. He wanted to... Um, he wanted it to not be true, right? Because he's seen not only the miracle of an angel of the Lord uh, appearing and talking directly with him, he's also witnessing these miracles that God does with this fleece, right? Parts wet, parts dry, just keeping everything separate. This doesn't make any kind of sense at all. And so uh, as, as God has done before in this story, he does again. He just confirms what Gideon has already knew was going to happen. And I don't know if you've had these times in your life where you may have felt a calling towards something God would have you to do, or maybe you're in a season um, and things have shifted on you. But for me, I've had, um, had a m- multiple times where those things have happened. And I want to tell you a little bit about it one time. I had the opportunity to work for about 13 years uh, with the Billy Graham Association. And Mr. Graham uh, just passed away uh, recently, and um, all of the sweet things you heard about him were true. Uh, just an, an incredible man to have, have worked for, to, to, to come alongside, just absolutely incredible. But I started my career working uh, with, with the association when I was in high school. I would come up from uh, Columbia, South Carolina, which is the, literally the worst place in the world. <laughs> man, we could talk later about that. Um, but I came up from Columbia uh, in the summers and spent it in, in Asheville, which is just absolutely uh, incredible. Right off of exit 55 on I-40 there of the Cove, there was a, uh, they had a camp there. And so I would spend all of my summers working up there. And it was beautiful. We loved everything about it. I loved an opportunity to, to minister to other students, to kind of come alongside and raise up uh, new leaders, to disciple our, our folks there. It was fantastic. But as I finished high school, um, I was wrestling with what do I need to do with my life, right? I don't know, I don't know what, what I should do. Camp was only job I had ever had. And so I decided, um, I'm going to go to Clemson. And I'm going to go to Clemson because I don't want to be in Columbia, because it's the worst city in the world. We can remember that if you guys want to just write that down. It's the, anyway, um, so I went, went to Clemson, and uh, I had no idea what to study. Um, so I went in and, as a general ed major, and then I decided, you know what, um, when I graduate, I'd like to probably need to make some money. Right, so this is kind of a thing I should probably do. So I went with uh, engineering because it, engineers they make money, right? And I was pretty good at physics uh, and math, and I felt like this is this is simple. This is kind of just how it goes. Well, I got to my third year uh, at Clemson in engineering and started into what they refer to as imaginary numbers and uh, imaginary math. Everything it stopped working. It just it just stopped working, and I, I had a, I was having a difficult enough time uh, in that. But then when we got into that sort of thing, I just was I'm out. I can't I can't. This is this is too much for me. My brain can't com- comprehend this. I gotta go. I'm out. So what I was looking for what what am I gonna do? What am I gonna figure out? Well, Montreat College here in town offered an outdoor education uh, major. So I thought, oh good. I have been while I've been at Clemson coming up on the weekends to work in Asheville with retreats, continue working in the summers, working on 
staff with the association in the summer camp, uh, I'm going to, they got a, um, a major, I can do this for a living. Right? So it's right there. It's Montreat in Asheville, real close. It was perfect. So I ended up coming up here and getting hired full time over at the Billy Graham Association and worked at a summer camp. Had a chance to uh, not only uh, lead uh, students through different incredible things, but also disciple uh, leaders. And that was one of my favorite parts. We ran an outdoor adventure camp for high school students. It was fantastic. It was amazing. So I had uh, grown up truly in my faith there. I had it, it was the kind of thing that I felt like, man, this is what I'm called to do. Like This is where I need to be. Because not, not only had I grown up in, in my faith there, I, I met my wife there right? Well, that was fantastic. And so we were both serving in ministry, and she's like great with kids, and she's amazing, and like, this is perfect, right? There's no reason, this is what I go to. And then we had a kid, and, and, it was, and, 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 and he's, he's amazing, and, and there's not a better place to raise a child than a summer camp, right? It's incredible. All the time, you've got swings, you've got four-wheeler type things, all kinds of really crazy equipment. We had rock climbing, kayaking, probably not the best thing for a one-year-old, but we did it. It was fantastic. Uh, we would do mountain biking. It was just wonderful. We loved everything about it. We had a chance to, um, to leave our, our house we had in Asheville and go live at camp. We had our own cabin. Like, who doesn't want a log cabin in the woods? That was fantastic. Uh, so we had a chance to, do, to be there, and it was, it was perfect. It was perfect. This is what I was. I, this is what I was at. This is what I needed to do with my life. Man, I'm pretty lucky for figuring this out in in my 20s. Right? It was awesome. Well, so we had uh, Davis, who was our, our firstborn. Just man, this is the greatest thing, being able to do that. And so we started our second, uh, our, our summer after Davis was born, and my wife was was pregnant with our, our daughter. Now I, I grew up in a family of all boys. Not really any girl cousins, just boys everywhere. So the thought of having a daughter it was, was terrifying, and it still is. Like, I just, I'm learning, I'm figuring out, I'm just doing everything I can. Uh, she's, she's amazing, and we love uh, that. And it's so, I've got this, this wonderful son that's already been born, that it's just the greatest thing. We're playing in the mud and the dirt and doing all things with Boise things, and it was just awesome. And then I got a daughter on the way, and it's like, okay, we got one and one. Like, man, this is awesome. Pretty exciting. So we start our summer, and the second week of summer camp, my boss comes up to me and kind of gives me this... Um, we can, can we talk? Can we talk? Now, we're at their high ropes course, and so we're instructing our team on how to properly um, run a high ropes course, and so um, make sure we get a, somebody in there to cover my spot and I go down and talk to him. And he proceeds to let me know that, hey, um, so you know there's been a shift uh, in, in the organization where Mr. Graham has kind of passed the baton to his son, um, and, and Mr. Graham's no longer doing crusades, and so um, the, they've, they've kind of changed up some things and want to kind of realign uh, the vision, kind of, kind of streamline some stuff uh, moving forward so that they're in the best place uh, as, the, as, as they move forward. And, and part of that means we're no longer doing camp. So um, I know it's the second week of camp. Camp's 10 weeks long. Uh, when it's over, uh, you're, you're done. So good luck with summer. I'm proud of you. You can do it. I was like, what? This was not, oh, no, this was not the conversation we were to have underneath the ropes course. This was not it at all. We were supposed to make fun of kids that were not, that were crying. We're, <laughs> we're not supposed to talk about like the bottom falling out and the rug coming out of all that I thought I was supposed to do with my life. Um, what? This is not, this was not in the, in the cards at all. So, um, I, I, I proceeded to, uh, to go, well, I got, got to tell my wife. That's a fun conversation. Right? Hey, oh, so I know you're pregnant, and in October, 
Annabelle is due. Um, yeah, so we're not gonna have. I'm not gonna have a job um, September. <laughs> right? Okay. So there was tears uh, on both parts, and it was a really difficult season, and we had no idea what God would have us to do. I mean, it was. This, it really was. Everything that I had planned for my life, all that I thought I was wired to do, was just. Wrapped out from under me. Now, currently, I, I pastor a church here in Asheville, which is something I never would have thought was even in the cards for me. Um, as, as you heard, I did uh, I studied engineering and outdoor education. None of that is is um, is is pastoral at all. And so, I would never would have been in this road at all. Now. I'll give you a little bit of a backstory on that. I told you our daughter was due in, in October, and the Billy Graham Association was so gracious enough to allow me to uh, stop work in the first part of uh, end of September, and uh, they continued to pay us through the end of October and carry our insurance just so that they could take care of our daughter and make sure that everything was great. And so that was incredibly gracious of them. And now another benefit of that for us was I was home. I got to be home with my, my wife, my one-year-old son, and uh, as, as our daughter was coming, we had a sweet season. And then God brought me into working at a church uh, in the 1st of November. So it was just a, something that I could not have orchestrated on my own, but I certainly would not have given up to do. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Like it was something that we, it was so integral to our life. Like it was, there was never a plan B. There was a never another one. Like I was going to be old and, and tired and cranky and yelling at kids for the rest of my life. And that was the plan, right? And it was going to be amazing. But for, for us to step into that season and, and that not happen, was, it was shaking for us. We didn't have any idea what the call on our lives was going to be at that point. It just didn't make sense. We felt like we understood what it was, but we didn't have any idea. So you may be in this season right now where you're, you're not sure what God is calling you to do. Maybe you think that something's happening, and this is kind of the way he has you to go, but you don't know. And like, is, is it, what is this? Is this what I'm supposed to do? How long am I supposed to do? Is this forever? Is this my thing or not? We want to take a few minutes to talk about some things about the call of God on our lives. Like, what, what is it? What does it look like, the call of, of, of God on our lives? And the first thing that we can see about the call of God on us. Sometimes the call of God on our life can be ridiculous, right? It can be absolutely ridiculous. Uh, there's an Old Testament prophet by the name of Hosea. Now, Hosea received an absolutely ridiculous call from God. In, uh, in Hosea verse one, or chapter 1, verse 2, we, we're going to read exactly what his call was. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. That's awesome. As a single guy, word from the Lord, go marry a prostitute. That's what you want to hear, right? I've had a chance to set in a lot of premarital counseling that we've been able to do with a lot of couples over the years, and it's been fantastic. Some of it's been really sweet. Some of it's been pretty difficult. Uh, never once have I told somebody to go marry somebody that's going to leave them forever. And it's, hey, you know, uh, your, your significant other has this really bad cheating problem, and it's always going to be that way, and you should marry them. That's, nobody gets that call, right? You don't call mom, hey, I found the one. Yeah, so she's a prostitute. Um, no, it's, it's cool, though. God said God said it's okay, um, right? That's not something that anybody really wants to do. Like, you don't want that call. Nobody grows up thinking this is the thing that we want to do. But it, it's, a, it's a ridiculous call, right? It's a ridiculous call. But there's some beauty in this call for Hosea. God tells Hosea to do that as a symbol of our relationship with God, right? We are constantly turning our backs on him and chasing after other lovers. But because God loves us so much... 
Even though we run and cheat on him, he constantly welcomes us back into relationship and never, ever turns his back on us. The Bible says that we, which the church, are the bride of Christ. Uh, God makes an imperfect bride his own with the price of his blood and covers us with garments of his own righteousness. And because he loves us, because of this, he loves us more than we can ever understand or imagine. This is even farther than what we can understand. And so God has told Hosea, listen, you, you do this. You marry someone and to, that's going to turn their back on you and that's going to run away from you. And you be faithful because I'm faithful when you do that to me. Right? And so it's the picture. Now, we're thousands of years later still studying this picture of God's intense, radical love for each and every one of us. Because he loves us so much, he will never turn our back on us. Though we run away from him constantly, he is consistently there for us and loving us and welcoming us back home and back into family. But the, the prophet Hosea isn't the only one who receives a ridiculous call. The prophet Isaiah uh, did as well. Now, if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Isaiah chapter 20, verses 2 through 4. We're going to follow along with this. Listen to this one. This is fantastic. At that time, the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, the nakedness of Egypt. That's, if you come to Growth Track today, you'll hear Robert tell the story of how the church of, uh, Gathering Church got planted here in Asheville. And John Mark originally felt this call to preach naked uh, in Asheville <laughs> for three years. But what we understand about the call of God that's kind of foundational is, is we don't get somebody else's call, right? So you don't get somebody else's call. You don't get to look at your neighbor and go, oh, man. If only I could be that, right? Or you get to look at your big brother, your little sister, any of those things. You don't get to look at them and say, man, if that, I wish that was my call. I want to do that. That's what they do. We all have unique callings. God has wired us uniquely for that. We are not to get, we don't, we don't get somebody else's call because if we did, one of us would be unnecessary, right? And so we don't get a, a, somebody else's call. We get a unique call. God has uniquely wired you specifically for something that doesn't look like anybody else. So God, John Mark knew this. And began to test it. I was like, wait, no, I can't preach naked in Asheville for three years. That's not my call. That was Isaiah's call. And so he began to plant the church, and it's amazing as, as it is. Now, you can, you can imagine how much of a struggle that would have been. Well, I don't know, maybe in Asheville. We probably could. <laughs> Y'all know that naked preacher? Oh, yeah, that's John Mark. Y'all know John? Yeah, that's him. I know, I know him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, he's a good, good dude. Really great dude. You know, have you seen his mustache? It's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, yeah. But you think about Isaiah, right? That's a ridiculous call. That's an absolutely ridiculous call. I'm certain that if, um, if, if, if I were Isaiah, I would have said, listen, I, I, know, I, know, I know Gideon had this like uh, angel of the Lord appear. I'm going to need God himself to appear to me and, and talk. And then, and then he's going to have to, we're going to have to write something out that I can see. And then he's going to have to go to like my, my closest friends, my parents, the people that aren't impressed by me that would say the hard things and tell them that too, because this doesn't seem right. This really seems awful and ridiculous, but this is the call that God has given Isaiah. And so we, um, we, we see how sometimes the call of God on our lives can be ridiculous, right? It can really be ridiculous. And sometimes we can see that the call of God on our lives can be difficult. 
be difficult. Uh, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, uh, we get the story of a man named Abram. Now, Abram shows up in chapter 12 uh, as a man who is living at home. He's living in an area kind of by himself. He's been done very well for himself. He's established. He's got all of his family around. And things are going really, really well for Abram. He has a, 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 a standing within the community, and things are, are really, really, really good. But God calls him uh, with a unique call and tells him to, uh, that he has something unique for him. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So you can imagine this conversation with his wife, Sarah. So I know we've got this really cute house. It's kind of like the one, you know, that we've always wanted and we've made it and it's perfect and it's got the cute little things and it's hardwood floors and it's got all the great whatever and, you know, it's just perfect. Um, but God says we got to leave. Okay, um, so God said we got to leave. Where are we going to go? Uh-huh. Yeah. He didn't say that. He just said we got to go. So we got to pack up everything in the U-Haul. And, and, and just go. Wait, wait, wait. So you understand, we, we've got a life here. We've got all our family here. Um, you've got a really good job. Career, everything's going well. And we've and we got to go, and, and you don't know where? Okay. Are, you, are you, you sure about this? Yeah, God said. Okay, this, doesn't, this, is, this is hard. This is really difficult. Because they're leaving everything. They're leaving all that they have ever known. They're leaving all of their security um, they're gone. They're off, and, and, and they don't know where they're going to go. That's a really difficult call. And to be honest with you, um, the, the reason that you're sitting in here today is because uh, Abram said yes to that call. Honestly, what we, we see is because Abram said yes, we're able to be together as a body of Christ, as a, as a, as a church community, as a family of faith, walking into and discovering what God would have for us, right? Had Abram, him, have Abram said no to the call of God on his life, none of this would be. We would not be here. We would not be able to know that God had something unique for each and every one of us that he had designed us for. We would not have known that. We don't know, but because Abram said yes, thousands of years later, we're able to walk in this and to, and to be in community with each other and love and see what God is doing and to experience him in ways that we never would have had Abram said no to that call. So we've seen that the call can be ridiculous. Uh, sometimes the call can be difficult, but also sometimes the call can be basic. It can just be basic. Now, uh, if you've been around church for a while, you know there are some, some of those coffee cup verses. Like, I'm sure you probably have these at, at your house, somewhere around it. But the, the book of Jeremiah is kind of full of some of these coffee cup verses. Matter of fact, last week, uh, Pastor John Mark walked through uh, one in Jeremiah chapter 1, one of these hallmark uh, coffee cup verses. It says, uh, verse 4 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build 
and to plant. Jeremiah gets these incredible verses. I mean, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Certainly some of us have that either on a coffee cup or an Etsy uh, canvas somewhere in the house, right? Uh, and then there's also in chapter 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. These are powerful verses, right? But what we need to understand about Jeremiah's history and his background, he's just called to do what he's already been doing. His dad was a priest. He's just called to stay in the ministry. Keep on keeping on. Keep doing what you're already doing. He doesn't get this radical call to leave where he's at and all that he's ever had in his life and to go pursue something completely ridiculous. He doesn't, he's not starting off as a carpenter and then ending up as an astronaut. This is the same thing. He just, God's call in his life is to continue doing what you're already doing. Just continue to be what you already are. Continue on. Now, when you're going out, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you my words to say. I'm going to take you where you need to go in this. But, but, but it's continuing. It's basic. It's not unusual. It's not out of left field. This is exactly what he's already been doing. He's grown up in the ministry. He's continuing on in the ministry. So sometimes the call in our life is not ridiculous, and it's not difficult. Sometimes it's pretty basic. It's pretty straightforward. You may, um, you may uh, let's see. Yeah, you might, you might be the best singer the world has ever known. You might be just incredibly great, gifted at, at singing, and you're able to use that for a lot of wonderful things. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's your calling, though. You, you may be the most wonderful uh, chef in all of the land. And if you are, we'd love to eat your food. You can have it at Growth Track at 1245. <laughs> We'd love to have you. You may, you may be that gifted, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what you have, God has called you to do. Because oftentimes we see that though the call can be basic, um, it, it doesn't necessarily uh, have to do with our talent, right? Well, oftentimes our, our talent doesn't necessarily mean it's our calling. Uh, we may be the most incredible singer, but you may be called to be an eighth grade math teacher. Right, you may be called to to be that. Um, you're, you're, what you're called to may or may not be what you desire. God may be stirring something in your heart now that makes you uneasy, and it may be something that you do not want to do. But the tugging on your heart may be the call of God on your life. But on the other side of this, your occupation does not always equate to calling. Right? If you've had a chance to read uh, the book Love Does, uh, Bob Goff talks about uh, his opportunities to bring whimsy and joy in, into the world. Now, Bob Goff is a lawyer and a professor in California, a law professor out in California, and that's his occupation, but that's not his calling. His calling uh, is to help in Uganda fighting injustices committed against children. Uh, he uses his gifts as a lawyer to allow him to live out his calling. Right? So just because he was good at being a lawyer doesn't necessarily mean that's his calling. He used his occupation to allow him into his calling. So are we confused yet? Because it's kind of all over the map. So maybe your talent isn't what you're called for. Maybe your occupation right now isn't what you're called for. So how do you figure out what you're called for? How do you discern what is those things on your heart that God's calling you into? How do you know this is the right thing to do? Well, there's an old dead guy. They put together a, uh, a, a list, of a three, three kind of uh, fold test that I think is just kind of perfect for discerning the call of God on our life. The first thing we do uh, to discern the call of God on our life is we test it against Scripture, right? If you're feeling this call on your life to go and uh, make meth and plant churches with the money, that's not from God. 
that's not the call of God on your life. That's breaking bad. That's, that's, not, that's not what God's called you. Because when you test that against Scripture, you realize this, this, isn't, this isn't right. This isn't what God has for us. This is not the direction he would have us to go. So when we're wrestling with the call on our life, the first thing we do is we run it through the lens of Scripture. We see if it's counter to anything that God would say in his word. Because what we understand is God will never call us to something that his word is against. Right? So if... Um, if you're thinking, okay, God, God is saying, I need to, to, to do this, but the Bible says this, go with the Bible, right? Because that's not God. It will never contradict himself uh, in, in that as well. So the first thing we do when we're determining this call of God in our life is we, do, we, we test it against Scripture. We see if this is exactly what Scripture would say, if this is okay, if this is lines up with what his word is. The second thing we do is we test it in prayer. We test it in prayer. Um, the wonderful thing that you and I have as followers of Christ is, is direct access to God. We don't, have to, um, we don't have to dance around some sort of goofy uh, rhythm. We don't have to do a certain thing so that God will listen to us. Because of Jesus paying the price for our sins and giving us right standing before the Father, we can boldly approach Him in confidence with anything that is on our heart. God is not some distant being waiting on you to screw up so that he can blast you with a lightning bolt, right? He is a loving God who knows all of the ways that you would ever fail before you were even born. He knew all of the ways that you would fail and to live up to his perfect standard. And he, because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, he doesn't see that anymore. He doesn't see any of your failure and shame. When you put your hope and faith and trust in God, not only are, um, are, are, you, are you, your sins wiped clean, but you're given right standing. You're giving full access to the Father. You get all the riches of the kingdom are poured out to you. Everything that you would need, you already have because of, of Christ. And so this is what's beautiful about prayer, right? We are not approaching or asking some God for wisdom on uh, what to do that, that's distant, that doesn't care about what's going on. Matter of fact, he cares so much, he sent his son right into the middle, knowing everything that you would fail to do and how you would constantly turn your back on him just the way that Hosea's wife did. He knows those things and said, I still love you. And, I'm, and, and it's all covered. It's all taken care of. And so God no longer sees our sin, our shame, and, and our failure. He only sees Jesus' perfection at the cross. He has cast those away, the Bible tells us, as far as the east is from the west. Our sins are gone. So God no longer looks at you and sees, is angry. He's never been upset with you if you're a follower of Christ because of what Jesus has done. He looks at you and sees Jesus and doesn't see failure, doesn't see shame. He's not angry. He's not upset. He is not bothered by any of your failure. He sees Jesus. And, he, and for every one of us who put our hope and faith and trust in Christ, he looks at us and says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And that's where you stand right now if you've put your hope and faith and trust in Christ. So testing the, the call of God on our life in prayer is, an, is, a, is a beautiful thing that we have access to. We don't have to, as we said, we don't have to dance around and figure out, like, hopefully I'm doing this the right way. We just ask him. We just approach him and ask him for wisdom, for direction, what we're able to do. And the final way we're able to discern the call of God on our life is to get confirmation uh, from an elder, a pastor, a life group leader. You are in a church that wants to love you and walk with you. None of us were created to be alone. Matter of fact, you'll hear that preached 
often from this platform here. The Gathering Church is passionate about you getting connected in with other people. You're never created to do life alone. You, you are wired uniquely for a purpose, and you were not wired uniquely to find that out on your own. Right? The Gathering Church is a place for you to be and walk through these different things. You have incredible opportunities, life groups. You have things that meet every time of the week, morning, afternoon, evening, all the days of the week. You have opportunities to get connected in, to find out what God has called you into, and to get confirmation from church leaders all around you. They want to love you. They want to speak into you. They want to give you wisdom and direction and show you. And if you're, um, if you're not a part of the gathering, if this isn't your home, you have that at home. Wherever you're at, you have the opportunity. You have people that want to walk with you and not let you figure this out on your own. You're never meant to figure this out on your own, right? The church is the beautiful body of Christ walking into the darkness and bringing people, rescuing people into the light. And you're not meant to figure this out on your own. You never were created for that. You're created for community. And so when you're wrestling with the call of God and you've tested it with Scripture and you've tested it through prayer, get confirmation from your pastors, your church leaders, your life group leaders. Have somebody that can speak through you because what you'll hear is, you know what, let's figure it out. Let's wrestle with it. We want to walk with you in that. We want to come beside you and see, is this exactly what God would have for you to do? And so it's a beautiful thing that God has created us. We are an incredible family. Now, we're a jacked-up family. Like, we got crazy uncles and, and weird aunts and um, all of those things. And, but, but we're loved and in a beautiful community where God has something unique for each and every one of us. So if you have, uh, are wrestling with the call of God, maybe you feel like God's calling you to something ridiculous. Maybe it's something difficult. Maybe it's uh, something basic. Maybe it's just continuing on where you're at. And, you, and you're, you're testing it against Scripture, and you're testing it in prayer, and you're testing it in communion. You'll begin to see what God has for you, how He has something for you. Because as we've talked about today, you are uniquely designed for something else. You don't get somebody else's call. You have something specifically that God has calling for you. And we want to come alongside of you. We want to encourage that. We want to help you step into that. And this is the place that you need to be.